Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Tapping Up Podcast with myself, Daryl, and as always, Ian. Uh, we're into the second half centenary now at the moment. Are you typing as I'm speaking there? Just my little surprise for you later. Just making a note of my little surprise to drop on you. Just, just ruin my introduction, don't worry. I'm sure everyone in the cars sat there listening to your horrible typing noise is uh, absolutely over the moon now. Um, Ian, what's wrong with your arm? I had a little operation yesterday, didn't I? I uh, trapped nerve in my uh, my ulnar nerve, so I needed a little operation, a little bit of a fiasco. Supposed to go in at half 11, told me it was going to be a 20-minute operation. Uh, no real details, anything like that. I get in at half 11, and they're like, yeah, your operation's not till half one. So I'm like, well, what the fuck am I here two hours earlier for? Uh, they then go to me, and I fucked up because I should have lied. They go to me, have you eaten anything? And I was like, I had a bit of toast at nine o'clock. And they were like, oh, kind of genuine anesthetic within six hours of eating. We're going to have to bump you now down to at least three o'clock. And I was like, you're fucking joking me. No one told me this. I didn't even know I was going under general anesthetic. So I'm sat there, there in fucking that fucking arseless get dressing gown they give you. I've got these fucking stupid deep vein thrombosis stockings they give you because apparently you can get that under general anaesthetic. And I didn't even go into surgery till about 10 to 5. So I was bored out of my fucking mind. Felt like killing somebody in the hospital till I went in. So I went in at half 11 and I think I finally got discharged, which was literally by forcing them get get out. They're like, right, you've got to have something to eat and you've got to go to the toilet. So I smashed this sandwich in about three mouthfuls, drank fucking a gallon of water, had a piss and was like, right, I'm ready to go. And they're like, no, no, a little bit more. I was like, look, I'm going to lose my shit if you don't let me out soon. So I get out at half seven. So I was in there eight fucking hours for a 20 minute operation. Sounds like the shittiest episode of Call the Midwife that you'll ever watch in your life. Uh, I've been trying to figure out what you look like with, and obviously people can't see this, but the cast that's on Ian's arm is probably about three times the width of his actual arm. <laughs> you look like that episode of uh, Family Guy where Quagmire discovers porn. Just been wanking. His yeah, it's literally how much bigger my arm is. It's fucking ridiculous. But yeah, I've got to wear this for four days, this ridiculous bandage. And I've got some kind of disintegrating stitches or something underneath. But they're like, yeah, you, by the way, you, uh, you can't get it wet for six weeks. So it's like, I can't get it wet. How am I supposed to have a shower? They're like, just hold your arm out of the shower. <laughs> it's like, that's the most stupid idea I've ever heard. I was like, how, what, how am I, how am I going to wash my pits? Like what? And she was like, you could always put a bin bag over it. I was like, these fucking people, like what kind of fucking medical advice is this? You're sounding more and more like call the midwife, actually have a shower with my arm out of the shower for six weeks. Yeah, that sounds a really sensible idea, doesn't it? But so, yeah, when I'm coming in to work uh, for the next few weeks, my left side might absolutely reek while the rest of me will be pristine and clean. You sit on my right-hand side, actually. I'm just thinking about it. We should probably... Yeah, yeah, you're going to get you're getting the stinky pit side. Just put my fan on, so anyone that walks in is going to get it instead. Just blows uh, it straight into their face. UFC 292 this weekend. We've got a numbered event. Uh, it's at the TD Garden in Boston, Massachusetts, which isn't that where John Cena's from? No idea. Don't do wrestling. 
Karshida. Everyone knows that John Cena's from Boston, I'm sure, probably. Anyway, um, it's quite a good card, is this one, it's unsurprisingly. We've, we've had a bit of an upturn in fortunes, I think, with the UFC numbered cards. Some of them have been a bit naff this year as we get closer and closer to uh, the festive period. Oh, I know we're quite far away from that, but it feels it's like close to the festive period because of the fact that the weather's been awful in England recently. Um, yeah, we're getting some better fights. And headlining this is the bantamweight title bout between uh, Sterling and Sean O'Malley. Obviously, I'm quite a big Sean O'Malley fan now because of the fact that I won that competition and got some of his merch. Yeah, good fight. Good fight. He's come around quick this one as well. Uh, quite a quick turnaround for Sterling since his uh, his last win. Um, I think he's already come out and said that he thinks it will likely be his last fight at Bantamweight. So uh, he's obviously got eyes on moving up, um, maybe trying to, uh, if he wins, which personally I think he probably will do, um, maybe trying to see if he can get that Volk fight and go for his own champ champ status. Um, could argue wrestling heavy, um, relatively big, a hard striker kind of matches up quite a similar style to Volk. That would be, Quite interesting. Um, Amali's number two in the division and um, probably one of the best strikers in the whole of MMA. Very, very flashy. Uh, very, very good kicks. Um, and I think ultimately that's the the key to, to how this fight goes. If um, Sterling can impose his will on O'Malley, uh, take him down, get him to the ground. Amali's not the biggest bantamweight. He's and his wrestling is his weakness, he's going to struggle. Whereas uh, if O'Malley can keep it at range, use his kicks, stay away and, and, and not get taken down, um, he's certainly got a chance to uh, to win and become champ. I, I mean, I get why, and I expected you to say this, I, I get why you think Sterling will win this, and we'll come on to predictions at the end. Spoilers, I disagree, as I tend to do with you. Um, it's definitely a really good fight. I think a lot of people are underestimating how good of a fight this is. I think that a lot of critics, a lot of fans are expecting this to be a bit of a walkover for Sterling from what I've seen, which I, I'm quite surprised by some of the things that I've read because I think this is significantly closer than what people are, are trying to infer. And obviously there's always heat with a, a Sterling fight. He always tries to make it a little bit of a, or give it a bit of edge before... Um, and Sterling obviously tries to get that out of his, his opponents as well. He's a massive favourite in the betting odds, which I had a look. And again, I, I can't understand why. I don't buy it. And I think O'Malley deserves to be a lot closer in terms of the odds that are, are there presented. Sterling clearly is a better wrestler. And if it goes down to the mat, you would expect it's going to be fairly easy for him to do that. But Sugar, which is, again, one of my favourite nicknames, I think he's criminally underrated. I think he is clearly underdog here. I think he's going to take him out. I think he's going to knock him out. And I think it's going to be one of these where people are like, oh, hang on a minute. This isn't how I expected this to go whatsoever. A little bit like Usman and um, Edwards. Similar to that, but I think a little bit more definitive. It, it could definitely go either way, that's for sure. But Sterling might be the most underrated champ in the UFC. Doesn't seem to get a lot of love. Dana White doesn't really treat him with the particularly utmost respect uh, for a champion uh, in a lot of the way that he talks about him. He, he's not particularly exciting, which is something that goes against him with the fans. He, he, he doesn't, he's, you know, compared to Sugar, who is a lot more exciting to watch. But um, 
he's very Volk-esque in imposing his will. Uh, and I think it purely comes down to if if he gets uh, gets his arms on uh, and his arms around O'Malley, I think it's going to be a long night for O'Malley and he's just going to get ground and pounded out. Um, I possibly couldn't see um, a Sterling win by knockout uh, submission. He's got an underrated ground game. But if I had to guess, I would put, if I was putting my money on it, I would go with Sterling by decision. Yeah, and I think that'll be the more obvious bet as well. And I, to be honest, I haven't got the exact odds in front of me, but I'm pretty sure that most people would think that that's probably the favourite in terms of how this fight's going to go and who's going to take it. But I just think you'd be surprised. I, I think a lot of people... No, you'd be you know surprised. What? I think you'd be surprised. Uh, no, no, I, I agree with you, but O'Malley's got to knock him out. I, I can't see O'Malley with the type of game that he's got uh, winning a decision. Um, Sterling has a phenomenal gas tank, so I think O'Malley's only chance is KO or TKO. Um, I think Sugar will get worn down, and the particularly, uh, again, I'm not sure O'Malley's been dragged into the deep waters before, rounds four and five. So uh, Sterling's done uh, a fair few title fights going into the deep waters now. So gas tank uh, definitely comes into the equation on this one as well. Would you be surprised to learn that Sterling, by a finish of of any type, so KO, submission, TKO, DQ, is the favourite? I would be surprised. Yeah, I would have said that uh, as a finish, include a submission. Or yeah, so it... everything at all. So decision or technical decision is 12 to 5. Everything else, so KO, TKO, DQ or submission is just about evens for Sterling. Yeah, submission wouldn't surprise me at all. I'd say a very underrated ground game. Um, trains with Matt Serra uh, in New York uh, and Brooklyn. So high level. I'm not quite sure he's a black belt, but he's certainly uh, a purple or a brown. Um, but yeah, Sterling by decision is my call. Um, we've got uh, another fight which I think will be quite li- quite significantly underrated here, and it's uh, Mrs. Zhang Weili versus Amanda Limos. Um, any fight with Zhang Weili is always a-, a bit of a barnstormer and always one to watch for me. Absolutely, this is for the women's strawweight title as well. Um, so you've got uh, Zhang is the champ of the twenty three and three record. Uh, Lemos, uh, a, a slightly uh, less experienced in the cage with a 13-2-1 record, but she has uh, won eight of her last nine fights and only lost to the former champ, Jessica Andrade. So she's certainly in, in form, but like you say, um, Zhang might be the female equivalent if there was such a thing uh, of uh, Justin Gagey. You know that... Um, if she's fighting, it's going to be a fight to watch. It's going to be a war. She can take punishment. She can dish it out. Um, very, very good fight. Easily could be fight of the night, this one. If there were a BMF equivalent for the women's division, 100% Zhang Weili would be the one. Um, I, I think Agreed. That, to be honest, I think she's got this. Unless she makes any significant mistakes, I think she's got this one as well. Um, obviously, Lemos has got an, a lot of knockouts, and I think... Does she have the division record for the most rec- uh, for the most knockouts in the UFC? Um, I'm not entirely sure off the top of my head, but I'm, it must be close. But we're talking different levels of opposition, uh, essentially. You know, Zhang Weili is one of those where you're standing up and being counted if you're taking her on, and normally the counting stops after about three when you're on your ass. Um, but yeah, and unless... it's only the elite. 
the elite, the elite, exactly. the elite that have taken him out, like JJ, yeah. uh, uh, who will come on to uh, maybe a bit later, sadly announcing their retirement. But um, yeah, this has got fight in the night written all over it. And I would say knockout from Jean would be my prediction on this one. Uh, 100%. I would be shocked if it was anything else. And obviously we'd previously gone through and reviewed Whaley versus JJ on a previous bonus segment, which was definitely one to watch. And we'd always recommend that. I think if, if you haven't ever watched Whaley fight before. Uh, I've got two other fights I was going to discuss uh, on the card, which um, so got Neil, Neil Magny currently number 11 ranked uh, in the welterweight against the uh, rising star of uh, Ian Gary. Um, Gary looks the real deal, uh, trains out of SBG uh, in Ireland with Connor, with Connor's camp, with Coach Kavanagh. Uh, he's looked sensational in his last three performances and he's also very level-headed uh, after his last fight, which was uh, something like a less than a minute knockout. He basically said, I want a top 10 uh, opponent, top five, then the title. So he's getting Neil Magny at 11. Again, another very uh, underestimated grappler. Very, very good um, all-round game Magny, but tends to fall to the elite of the elite, uh, elite um, sort of uh, opposition. Um, and uh, But Gary has also got a very good game. game. Um, feels a bit like one of those fights, like when we discussed uh, Aspinall's last fight, that it's... Um, setting Gary up, really, for a uh, destructive performance uh, and, and, again, getting some hype and, and some momentum behind him. So uh, I feel that he'll probably smash through Neil Magny, even though Neil Magny, as I say, is no joke, uh, and set himself up for a fight against someone higher in the rankings. Yeah, and, and Magny is a gatekeeper, isn't he? He's a top 10 gatekeeper, I think he's referred to as quite often and I agree I, I don't see this hype train that Gary's got at this point in time halting at any point obviously Magni is rated uh, number 11 at this point in time in the welterweight division I think he sparks him out in all honesty I think he takes him out quite quickly I'm just looking at the odds here you've got Gary as one to five odds on favorite so clearly they're, they're back as well on a, a random note and we're talking really hypothetical and way in the future, of course. Could you imagine Leon Edwards and Gary in, uh, you know, you probably take it to Ireland, do it at Wembley? I could see it. I just think it's too far in the future for the moment for me. Garrett Gary's at least three fights uh, from a title fight minimum, I would say. Um, obviously, the way that the fights come around, that could be two years away, something like that. Um, and for Ed, Edwards to hold on to the, the belt for that long, um, given the opposition that he might have, um, seems quite a big ask. So I could see it. I mean, it would be it would be an, a, a big deal, particularly again a kind of England Ireland type event. They could do it, you know, do a Wembley. They could do a Croke Park in Ireland. It would uh, certainly make a, a big deal. But I think that's too far in the future to consider a reality for the moment. Yeah, just just squash me fun, Ian. It's all right. You, you don't don't worry about it. I'll just think of these really good fights, and you can just talk them down. Give Sean Shelby a ring then and tell him your idea. <laughs> see what he says before he starts laughing at me and says "fuck off, Curly Sue." But um, <laughs> f- final fight then, uh, underrated one. This as well, another one that could sneak under the radar as, as, as a fight of the night at Bantamweight. We've got one of my favourite uh, fighters. I've got to say, Marlon Vera. 
number six in the rankings, record of 20 wins, eight uh, losses, one draw, versus Pedro Munoz, uh, number 10 in the rankings, uh, 20 and seven record. Uh, Munoz is a tank. How on earth he makes bantamweight, I don't know. Uh, Vera is very, very good, but again, it's one of those that just when he seems to be on the cusp of his opportunity of a title fight, he loses. Uh, he had Sandhagen recently, and the winner of that would look, look, look destined to get uh, a title fight, and he was absolutely outclassed. Um, really good lad. He's been on, on Rogan a couple of times uh, from Ecuador. So it comes across as a real sort of fun guy to be around, very cheerful, very chirpy, really enjoys the craft. I think he might be the sole Ecuadorian in the UFC, so he takes quite a lot of pride uh, in in that and fighting for his home country. Um, so that is also a scrap that I am certainly looking forward to. Uh, and I would go Vera by KO. It's an interesting one, the, the Vera and Sanhagen, because I think it was back in March, wasn't it? And like you say, he was absolutely outclassed by Sanhagen, and Sanhagen went to fight Font, I think it was, was it last weekend? Very recent, um, but he had a fight with Font and obviously beat Font as well. And the irony, of course, being, I think whoever wins out of O'Malley and Sterling, you could see that fight next, absolutely. And the timelines would, uh, of course, line up. Obviously, you've got Deshvili as well. Um, whether he then comes into the equation, having beaten Jan quite recently, it's... Yeah, well, Dashville is out division. of the equation, isn't he? Because he's best mates with Sterling. And I can't help but feel that that's one of... They've said that they'll never fight. And I also feel that in some ways that's part of maybe Sterling's uh, point about this being his last fight. I wonder if that's the kind of mate thing as well. He's like, look, I want to go up and be champ champ. And that opens the door to you then potentially fight. Uh, and Dashville is no joke. I mean, I, I would probably say... After th- this fight, if, if um, you know, depending on the outcome of Sterling O'Malley, Dashvili should be next fighting for the title if it's not against Sterling. Very, very underrated fighter. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's not going to matter who or whether they're, you know, the best mates and stuff because Sterling's not going to fight him because Sterling's going to lose the title uh, this weekend. So, um, very, very confident about that. And clearly, every single one of my predictions always comes true. And we know how your predictions usually end up. So uh, I think we're all pretty safe. The uh, the money's on Sterling. But um, moving on, I mean, one that was sad, we just touched on her earlier. Uh, Jojana Jorait, Jacek, uh, JJ Champ, uh, has officially notified the UFC of her retirement. Uh, I mean, towards the end of last year, she kind of signified this, uh, that that might well be the case, but she officially removed herself from the testing pool and kind of notified everybody that that was uh, her final uh, decision. She will certainly go down as one of the uh, the greatest women fighters ever. Um, she was a f- uh, former strawweight champ with still the most defences ever uh, at five. She had the most consecutive wins at strawweight with eight. Uh, and she was the first Polish and female European uh, UFC champion as well. So ends her career with a record of 21 and five um, and strangely might be best remembered for that fight. I think it was Zhang where she had that insane hematoma on her head, didn't she? That ridiculous uh, golf ball sized bump on her head. But um, seems quite early for me. I mean, she, she started to lose a few considering how dominant she was, but personally, um, I, I felt that she could have gone on a little bit longer. Wonder if she's got other 
outside interests. Maybe she's got a gym. Maybe she's got, you know, business interests outside the gym and, and, and doesn't need to carry on fighting. And she did certainly put herself through a fair bit of punishment the way that she fought. So maybe there's a little bit of uh, looking for to the future and her health as well. But wish her all the best and was certainly probably my favourite female fighter of all time. I mean, the, the Zhang Weili fights that we touched on earlier on are definitely two of, of the best women's fights I've ever seen. Um, obviously, she lost the first one via a split decision, uh, got the Fight Night Award, and then had the rematch, I think, was about two years later, two years between the the fights, which obviously a two-year layoff is never a good idea for any UFC fighter, but then she comes back in, she lost the fight after getting absolutely sparked with a, a spinning back, fest, uh, back, back fist, which I think was in the... Second round, quite a, a quick knockout in that one. And then on that day in June, she announced her retirement. Uh, I think she said something about, look, I want to be a mum. I want to be a businesswoman. I've done this for two decades. Yeah, that's me out. And obviously with the notification that she's out of the, the testing pool, then um, good luck to her, whatever she does decide to do. Um, just in terms of the final bit on UFC 292, I mean, we haven't been keeping up to date with it. and. You know, that's our own fault, and we can only apologise for that. But Tough 31 has its finals set to take place and the, the lightweight and the bantamweight finals. Um, I lost interest in Tough 31. I'm pretty sure you did as well. It got very, very boring very, very quickly. McGregor's team got absolutely battered, and Chandler essentially ran away with it. I think it was 7-1 to one was the final score in the, the opening rounds. Um You've got Kurt Holobar and Austin Hubbard in the lightweight final, who were both members of Chandler's team during the show. And then you've got uh, Cody Gibson against Brad Katona. Now, we didn't see this. I don't know if you, you had seen this yourself because we stopped watching it. But essentially, Katona defected. So he went from Team Chandler to Team McGregor after everything that happened because of his mixed allegiances with John Kavanagh on the opposing team's coach. So he decided... He actually fights oh, with out of McGregor's gym, though, doesn't he? Yeah, with, with yeah, Kavanagh, he's, he's... yeah. Um, so so he, he basically moved over. And then in, I think it was the last episode, apparently they properly kicked off and Gibson had written, fuck you, Brad, <laughs> not in the kitchen. So that's all coming to a head on that. Um Without knowing too much about it, have you got any predictions on that? To say, definitely lost interest. I haven't watched the last few episodes, which is my bad. Um, but uh, from what we did watch in the first few, Holobar looked very good for the veterans in, in his fight. So I would probably give it to him. And I think Katona was equally impressive as well. So I will call them two as the uh, the winners in their respective fights. Well, Katona has already won it, hasn't he? I think he won under ultimate. Fighter 27 at Bantamweight. Yeah, could be the first person to ever win it twice. He beat uh, Carlos Vera um, uh, as well, um, unanimous decision, uh, seeking his, his second championship. So, yeah, we'll see. And only last thing on that, um, Chris Weidman is making his return. So he's fighting the UFC for the first time since getting knocked out in 17 seconds uh, by Uriah Hall in April 2021. We've obviously previously talked in detail about his two fights against Silver. I know that we've gone into quite a bit of detail about that and they're definitely worth a watch. And I mean, the leg injury that ensued after that, he's taking on Brad Tavares, who's looking for his first win since July 2021. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those weird ones. If there was ever someone that you wouldn't have expected to have halted um, Silver's run at the time, it was Weidman. He would always have a special place in MMA 
folklore for uh, stopping um, Silva in the, in the first fight before the leg break, you know, genuinely beating him. Um, Silva was being a bit cocky, as he always was, hands down showman and, and got caught. So it was probably an element of his own fault. But um, sad to say it, really. I think he's one of those guys that's fighting for the money, really, rather than the love anymore. I feel like he's probably lost the drive, the fire, the desire that's needed at that level. Um, and he's taken some punishment, particularly that horrendous leg injury over the years. He's one of those ones, if I was his family, friends and coaches, I'd be trying to encourage him to to retire and call it a day and, you know, maybe pursue other avenues. But it's not for me to tell anyone what to do uh, and the best of luck to him. But uh, I would not be surprised if he lost because Tavares is a tank of a man as well. He's been on a bit of a losing skid. But when he does win, he usually wins by a ferocious knockout. Last bit on MMA in general this week. McGregor, because uh, always, you know, he's got to be involved in everything, hasn't he? He was involved in the AGA and uh, hilarious fight, promoting his new stout or whatever it is, um, which looked horrendous. But um, he is still claiming that he intends on fighting Michael Chandler in December. But he hasn't entered the Sada testing pool as of yet. And obviously the only way a fight between the two coaches, the ultimate fight at 31, can happen at 296 on December 16 is if McGregor is therefore granted an exemption. If you follow the standard protocol, he would be required to submit two clean tests over a six-month period, which obviously he can't do that now. And if he did it from, let's say, tomorrow, it would mean that he can't compete until 2024. Um, McGregor's manager has recently come out and told MMA junkie that they intend on doing things the right way with USADA. But if they don't, then McGregor's three-time former opponent, Poirier, has essentially questioned the effect that that would have on the integrity of the sport. He said, I I like USADA and I do think they're going to do a good job of cleaning up the sport. But for me, if they waive that six-month testing period and allow him to compete with no drug testing, it kind of makes a joke of the whole thing. You might as well just remove it completely, which... I don't dis- disagree with him. You can't give exemptions just because one person brings in more money to the company, Charlotte. Are you crazy? Of course that's what we're going to do. Do you know Dana White in the slightest? <laughs> I guarantee you he gets that exemption. No one else would get that exemption. Connor will. Connor gets whatever the fuck he wants. There is no way that he doesn't get that exemption waived. And uh, you're right, it is supposed to be a six months back in the pool. Uh, he would still get tested, you know, for a period from whenever they announce that. So, uh, obviously, if he has been, all the rumours are true and been ro- get roided up for his Hollywood debut and the rest of it, he might be able to cycle off and get out of it and, and, and avoid it this time. But if he was going to carry on fighting and he's 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 called, come out and called the three fights he wants next, doesn't he? Which is uh, Chandler, Gagey, BMF. Uh, and then uh, Jake Paul bare knuckle boxing, I believe it were, were the three I fights. It was Nate Diaz. Neat, I it was sorry, Diaz trilogy, trilogy. Yeah. Then uh, the 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 bare knuckle boxing. But so he'd have to stay in the pool then. But if you don't think he's getting an exemption, you are living in an absolute dream world. I don't think that he won't get it. I'm just questioning as Chan as um, Poirier has done the integrity of. UFC in general, if you allow him to have it. Because what what's to say, and as you say, there's been a lot of rumours about it, what's to say that he hasn't been juicing up and then for whatever period of time, he's allowed that to get out of his system and then he takes the test very, very late on 
and gets that exemption. It, it seems an absolute mockery. What if he goes and absolutely smashes Chandler, but he's off his tits on whatever it might be that he's been taking? Yeah, well, I mean, again, though, steroids these days, I mean, they do get these designer steroids that are designed to, to skip the test. So, and with the amount of money he's got, he could easily have that. But I think it's deluded of even any UFC fighter to think that anyone but Connor this would apply to. So it sounds like a little bit of sour grapes, if I'm honest, from Poirier. I, I mean, I don't disagree with the sentiment. Why should we all have to do it? And he doesn't. He doesn't bring in four. Poirier doesn't hold four of the top five pay-per-view records in UFC history. And if he did, he'd get an exemption too. So, um, Is money better than integrity then for Dana White? Is that what we're saying? Yeah. <laughs> Without any doubt. Don't even think it's in question. Um, so, yeah, I don't disagree with the sentiment. In fact, I, I absolutely agree with it. But it, it's, it's, it's a business at the end of the day. It is a sport, but equally it's a business um and 100 percent, he gets that exemption it's not been a good week for Liverpool again has it in terms of your transfer targets seemed like you oh. were very happy on Monday see Acacidio was um almost set to go to Liverpool everything was agreed you were over at moon and then by the night big fab was saying uh yeah he's rejected yeah little rat I mean he took us from that for that for that Half a day, I was like, we're genuine title contenders. You added Casido into a midfield three of McAllister, given their existing relationship from Brighton uh, and Slobazai. That's that, that to me would have put us potentially the second best team up there of Arsenal. Still, don't think we we could have caught Man City, being frank, but certainly would have been arguing that we could be in second, uh, uh, fighting out for second place. Next thing is that falls through and the little rat fucks us off. Then we can't even fuck. Everybody knows then that we've got £111 million to burn. So once to bang all the prices up, even then Lavia turns us down, which is crazy because where on earth does he think he's going to fit into a midfield of Chelsea when they've already got Enzo and then Calcedo? And does he think Poch is going to play three defensive mids? So that seems an incredibly poor decision um by by him um and we end up with uh today uh endo from uh stuttgart which feels like on the face of it when i first heard it i was a bit like what the fuck like what uh, um how 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 can we go from being linked with such high caliber and quality opposition to um to 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 you know someone who is captain of Stuttgart but not many people have heard of. However, I did a little bit of uh analysis and I'm gonna hit you with a ridiculous stat attack now regarding uh Endo. So last year's Bundesliga uh ranked eighth for the most uh completed passes, uh third for the most ball recoveries, ninth for the final third passes completed, ninth for the most um, tackles and first in the whole division for headed clearances. He also won uh, the most possessions in the defensive third at 254, the most aerial duels, the most clearances. He had the second most touches in the whole league the second most completed passes, 
the second most uh, possession one in the middle of the th- the middle third, and the second most tackles. So on paper and stats, that actually looks like a pretty shrewd signing. The only thing that you would say goes against the signing for me is his age that he's 30. So it feels like somewhat of a, a stopgap. Um, Fabinho was 30 and we wanted to keep him. So you could argue on the flip side that is it any worse than than, than Fabinho? But um, as I say, whilst being underwhelmed uh, to start with, having watched um, some footage of him and done a little bit of digging today, I actually think this could be uh, quite a shrewd purchase. How ironic is it that that essentially is exactly what an internet football fan sounds like these days? It is essentially, oh, I don't want this wanker. Who the fuck's this? He sounds garbage. I've looked it up. I've looked at some stats. I know very little about him. And now I'm quite happy with it. That is exactly how it always goes. Now I think he's the perfect uh, (laughs) replacement for uh, that we needed. But uh, I'll be honest. I, I, I have... Go on, go on, I'll let you go. Go on. As I said, I still hope that I wonder if he might be part of a two purchase. Uh, I still wonder, we still uh, are allegedly retaining a, a strong interest in uh, three players, which is Decore uh, of Palace, but I think all, they're asking a ridiculous sum of money and I wouldn't pay 70 odd million for him. There is obviously uh, Kefram Chiram from Nice. Uh, who we retain uh, a an interest in, and Kone uh, also of the Bundesliga. And I feel like, personally, I'd go for Chiram if I had to have a choice. Originally, ironically, we uh, decided against pursuing him and purchasing him, even though he was one of our top choices, because the £46 million they wanted for him was too much money. But we're then prepared to pay 111 for Calcedo. So I do wonder... Uh, whether we might see another player uh, younger that can be brought in and rotated with Endo is my own view. So when it comes to this, and I'm I'm not going to profess to know everything about Wataru Endo or that I thought that he's a fantastic defensive midfielder. I know very, very little about him. I don't tend to watch Bundesliga football that often either. It's sort of if and when it's on. I know that Stuttgart narrowly avoided relegation last season. I think they had a was it a playoff game, which I hate how that works um, in the, the Bundesliga, but they had a playoff game against Hamburg, uh, which, of course, they won and then kept them in that league. The biggest question mark I've got over this and the biggest question mark that I certainly would have if I was a Liverpool fan is where is the, the strategy here? Because Lavia and Caicedo are clearly two similar players in terms of what they bring to a team, their ages, etc. I don't think Casado is worth 150 million personally, but I don't think any player on world football today is worth 150 million. Lavia going for nearly 60 million is astonishing to me. <laughs> I don't know how these deals seem to always happen. Um and fair play to Southampton for getting that done and uh, in terms of Casado well done to to Brighton as well and Tony Bloom, but how do you go from young defensive midfielder, someone that you can build a team around, to then 30 years old, a uh, player that narrowly avoided relegation last season? Yes, he might be fine. He might have good statistics. But until you see him play, you don't know if he's going to fit in. 
there's no strategy there. And it might be that they go and get someone else. I've seen on top of the people that you've mentioned, Gravenbach seems to be coming back into the, the fold. And he certainly would be more of the, the mould that Liverpool were targeting. But this just seems a bit of a panic buy to me. Even at 15 million, which might be a shrewd deal and it might work out very well for you, it seems like the fan pressure of watching you very, very nearly get to high targets for a lot of money and then bottling it at the end because they've both rejected you for Chelsea. It's not as though you didn't have the money there. It's that they didn't want to come. It seems like they thought, right, we're going to go and get someone in the meantime, potentially as a stopgap, and then look at other targets. Why? Why do that? I think it's exactly that. I think we needed someone more immediately. I don't know if uh, negotiations for the other two are working out. I, I wouldn't say it has no strategy. I think the strategy is it's a stopgap. I think it's not a long-term move. He's obviously not someone that's going to come in and, you know, you're going to build your team around for, um, you know, five or six years like you would want with some of those younger players and you could have done with a Calcedo. But by all accounts, you know, he's he's, he's a decent enough player. Um, he can do a job for, for a year or two. Uh, and that buys us, if nothing else, longer to work on some of those other targets next summer. Some of the players that we're talking about will have a year's left on their contracts and maybe more affordable. Uh, someone else may come to prominence, probably from Brighton, that they've bought for two million, who's some outstanding, amazing player. So I, I see your point and I don't disagree that it's a bit of a panic buy, but I don't think you can say it's strategy less. I think the strategy is it's a stopgap for a position that we very, very clearly needed following the game against Chelsea, where they just cut straight through the middle. So actually, I'm pleased that anyone is is better than, than no one for me watching that game because apart from the middle of the park, attacking-wise, we looked very good. Um, you know, actually at the back, we didn't look bad. It was just the way that Chelsea were just able to cut straight through the middle. So um, I'm always going to, you know, stick up for Liverpool and probably be slightly biased. But yes, it's not the signing we all hoped for but he might surprise a few people. Um, and I think the strategy is, is simply um, let's get someone to perform that role that we need whilst we work on other targets or we wait a longer period of time and another year to bring in the type of player that we're talking about. So the strategy is, shit, we've fucked this up here and we need to try and fill someone in. because I, don't, I can't agree with you saying anyone is better than no one because you've got other players that can fill that void in the U team, surely. Anyone better than no one suggests that it doesn't matter if they're very good at that position, just as long as they can play that position. He might come in well, and he might they, be atrocious and you might still get cut through. They didn't put just anyone in in mid uh, against Chelsea, did they? When they could have done. If uh, there was someone that could perform that role uh, in the youth team, they certainly didn't That's put them in. Said. It's embarrassing. So um, anyone is better, you know, someone doing that role uh, who is, you know, of a certain level, is better than no one. And certainly I'd rather have Endo, despite him not being a big name, than some untried 17-year-old from our youth team. Even though when I said to you this week, I could see you going for Tyler Adams at Leeds, to which you said you wouldn't want him, you don't think he's good enough. Is he not a better prospect and he's about the same price as well than this Endo? From what you know, no, in terms I, of I, what I, you've seen. No, I, 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 I like Adams. I think he's a good enough player. He's just nowhere near Liverpool standard. Now, time will tell. You don't, you, Endo, you might, Endo might be as well. Might not be. 
Yeah, but exactly. I, I don't I don't disagree. He might not be. I know Adams isn't good enough to do the job for Liverpool. So um, you just said anyone's better than Noel. Yeah, but he's cheaper and he's more established and he's done it for, for longer than Adams. So I would still take this guy over Adams every day of the week. It's a strange strategy for me. I can't agree with you. I feel like you're saying that if someone is old enough, if they've been playing it for 30 years and they've been doing it in that position, they're worth the buy. I feel like Liverpool have absolutely messed this up significantly and have gone haywire because the fans are on the back um, and panicked a little bit. But time will tell. They might be a fantastic signing and he might be really shrewd. I just can't personally see it. Um, I think that for me, I would wait until the right target is has come back. And I, I would also be slightly worried if I were a Liverpool fan as to why these players are constantly rejecting me for Chelsea when it's going to be significantly easier to get into Liverpool's team because of, as you say, there's a, a gap there for a player of that ilk. Whereas for Chelsea, they could be sat on the bench. And I'd, I don't think Lavia is going to go straight into this midfield. I think he's going to sit on the bench, but he'd for some reason yeah, no, prefer no, to go No there, doubt so. it's, a, it's, a, it's a concern. that Why are they just choosing Chelsea over us? I mean... Money probably plays a part of it. Uh, London, living in London, uh, as opposed to Liverpool, Ugh. probably has uh, a part of it as well. I, w- I would hazard a guess. But yeah, it is concerning when you're getting rejected by Lav- Lavia more so because he's going to get nowhere near that first team with the players that they've bought. So that, that seems a very strange and ill-advised move by him. But uh, again, time will tell. We'll wait and see. Maybe um, Poch realises Chelsea uh, have got no option and how bad they are. He's going to play three defensive mids and just fucking turn into the new Mourinho and just park the bus. But um, yeah, I feel like it's one of those that there's a few players this uh, that have been signed this summer that it will be a let's have this discussion in two or three months and see how things have panned out. A player that were linked to Chelsea at the very beginning of the window, um, Neymar has gone to Saudi Arabia, which I'll be honest, I don't think comes as a massive shock to anyone in particular. His salary that he's going to be earning is ludicrous. It's uh, nigh on, I think it's, it's over 100 million a year. Mate, it's, um, it's, I've got some, again, I'm going to drop some on. stats on you here. So this is insane. So the transfer fee was 86.3 million. He will earn £129.4 million a year, which is six times his salary in France. And it wasn't exactly like he was on a bad deal in France. A few of the things that come with his move is a private plane entirely at his disposal for whenever he wants to fuck off from Saudi Arabia, which I'm sure will be after every game. A huge house with eight housekeeping staff. An £80,000 bonus for every Al Halal win. And the craziest one, half a million for every post or story he puts on his social media that promotes Saudi Arabia. The world has gone mad. Can you imagine his OnlyFans? How how much money would he get for just posting just random pictures of him and his sister every so often? Allegedly, should I say, uh, every so often. Um, yeah, it's mental. It's it's absolutely mental. And he's gone to, is it Neves' team, Al-Halal? Yeah, so, I mean, he, uh, it's the team that Neves had, uh, Neves, uh, Koulibaly, and he forms, a, uh, it sounds ridiculous to say this in Saudi Arabia, a, a frightening uh, front two of himself and Malcolm, who before Neymar was the second highest ever 
uh, signing in Saudi Arabia. Uh, another very good Brazilian that they bought from Zenit St. Petersburg. So um, it's crazy. And I mean, I've got a little list here uh, I pulled out of um, some of the players now that have gone to uh, the teams in um, Saudi Arabia. So if you look at Al Nasser, you've got obviously Ronaldo, uh, Mane, Brozovic, Fafana, who was a very good player at Monaco, highly rated. Alex Tellez, the left back from Man U, uh, j- to just been confirmed is Luis Alberto from Lazio, who used to play for Liverpool uh, when he was very, very young and was dog shit and has actually become quite a decent player. And also linked with them today is Laporte from Man City, the defender. Uh, Al Halal, who we've just been talking about. So not only have they got Neymar, Koulibaly, I forgot this one, Milinkovic Savic, who is an incredibly decent player for Lazio, Ruben Neves, Malcolm. Uh, they've had a £47 million bid put in for Mitrovic of Fulham. And they've also agreed today a £21 million deal for Bono, the keeper from Seville, who was very good at the World Cup. Uh, Al Itiad, you've got less uh, less play, uh, players, but still of a high quality. And you've got Benzema, Kante, Fabinho and Jota from Celtic. Uh, Al Ali, you've got Firmino, Mares, um Sam Maximan, Kessie, Ibanez, who is an incredibly highly rated centre-back from Roma. And a lot of Premier League teams were looking at him. And apparently they are close to completing uh, Zelensky from Napoli, another decent midfielder, uh, Polish. And then you have, um, I can't even pronounce the team, but uh, Gerard's team. They've obviously got Henderson, uh, Moussa Dembele. And the most crazy one I read out of all of these is Jack Hendry. So have you heard of Jack, Jack Hendry, a Scottish centre-back? They bought from a Belgian team. He has signed for them on a salary of fifteen point nine million pounds a year. Disgusting. Try and pronounce the name just while we're on it of the uh, the club. Al Efficat Efficat Al Etifac Etifac. Yeah, it's just insane, isn't it? It's just the Saudi revolution continues. Um. And uh, my, my surprise point for you, which I just read, uh, how reliable this source is. Uh, but you could see this coming uh, in, in some ways with Saudi chucking a load of money. But what Saudi are proposing to UEFA is that the winner of the Saudi Arabian League gets a wild card to enter the Champions League. Now, how about oh, that? I knew this shit had come in at some point. Uh, so that and my answer, all that of a sudden not. that that I agree and tell him to fuck off and stay out in the desert. But that all of a sudden does 100 percent give even more legitimacy to what they're trying and might explain why some even more players might be tempted to go there if they were able to actually, apart from playing pub teams in the Saudi Arabian League, get the chance to play uh, in the uh, the Champions League. So that is, that's only just come out. It's only rumoured at the moment as, as a Saudi proposal. But as we see with the Saudis, with the money they've got, live, golf, et cetera, et cetera, 
they'll chuck you away for a fucking billion or some shit. And you could quite easily see that happening. But uh, I read that just before we started filming and I thought I'd drop that one on you. That's when my incredibly rude typing that you called out on the, uh, on air, that's what I was making notes of. But thoughts on that? My first thought, here's one for you. If they're entering into the Champions League, should they not be subject to FFP? Very good point. And there's nowhere in the world that they, they would be. But again, money talks. UEFA, sadly, we know how bent and crooked they are as well. If they're suddenly Saudis saddle up to them and say, look, we'll chuck you three billion. Just let one team in. That's all we ask. Keep it on the down low. Can you see fucking, um, f- forget his name, Fontaine, is it? The, the, the head of UEFA saying no to that and the amount of money. So I, I totally agree with you, but um, it's, it's an interesting um, development in all of this. And um, I'm sure we'll, we'll keep people updated as it unfolds, whether or not there's uh, any truth through it or not. Inevitably, sir. And it's, you know, that video of the young kid, have you ever seen it? He's in a, a school and I'm not sure if he's got autism or something like that, but he shouts really loudly in someone's face that he's really sick of it. That's what I'm getting like with Saudi Arabian um, revolution at the moment and this Saudi Pro League. The amount of things that they're doing, it's becoming more and more like when Burley first took over Chelsea and we're like, I think we should introduce this. I think we should introduce that. And I think your exact words were, shut up, you yank. Um, stop proposing stuff about a sport that you don't understand. It's This is sport washing. This is clearly sport washing. They're trying to get involved in everything. Um, I don't think anyone is unaware of the fact that this is clearly sports washing, but I'm bored of all this now. I, I want it to stop. I know it's not going to stop. Based on Problem what is, this is only going to fuel it. If players now for. think that they can get involved get worse, in the Champions yeah. League as well, it's going to make it worse. But, I mean, I reached the point you are talking about about two weeks ago when the fuckers of just buying <laughs> everybody up. But um, I'm sick of talking about it. But, yeah, it, it, it's going to... It would be a sad state of affairs if... Within a year or two, Saudi Arabia are considered one of the top five leagues in the world, wouldn't it? Yeah, and, and it's getting that way. It absolutely is getting that way with the players that they're taking. Some of them obviously a little bit older and potentially over the hump. You've got you know Neymar and Ronaldo, still big names, but nowhere near the prime anymore. But if they can take players like Neves and they can convince players like, uh, I can't pronounce his name, from Lazio, uh, we just mentioned him. Savic, Savic. Yeah. Um, if they can take players like that, then, you know, it's worrying. It's a worrying sign. Um, the one player that they weren't able to take because someone else splashed silly money on them, Harry Kane has completed a move to Bayern Munich. And a lot of people really surprised by this one. Um, I'm not entirely surprised by it. We had quite a, a I mean, really, really in-depth. I know we see in-depth quite a lot, but we had really in-depth discussion about would you prefer the record, the, the goal-scoring record? Would you prefer to go win some trophies? I said that he deserved to go win some trophies in his career. It seems that way, that, and he follows that. Obviously, in his first game, he brings the Spurs curse along with him and they lose the the Super Cup or whatever it is in, in Germany. Um I think it's a good move for him. I think he'll do very well. And I think he'll pick up the Bundesliga medal at the end of the season. Yeah, he definitely bought the Spurs curse. I mean, the irony was that I think his deal was signed at something like one o'clock in the morning. 
And I actually was almost willing him to win, I'll be honest, only because it wouldn't have been the most brilliant thing that in less than 24 hours after signing for his new team, he won a trophy, which is more than he did within 15 years of Spurs or something. I thought that would have been absolutely superb if that had happened. But yeah, you're right. He obviously took the curse and they took a bit of a hiding, didn't they? 3-0, Leipzig beat him, which is even more surprising given... Leipzig's team has been slightly decimated this year, losing in Cuckoo, losing Slobber's eye. Um, so that was quite an impressive victory for me by by Leipzig. There were quite a funny moment as well because the third goal were a penalty and um, they would say it's a controversial penalty with Munich fans. I, I wouldn't agree. Um, essentially, all the players, as you would normally see when you watch Premier League, ran to the referee, started remonstrating, saying, no, we don't think it's a penalty. Harry Kane runs across to try and also join in and realises that he can't speak a word of German. So he's just stood there and he's like, ah, I don't know what to say. And he's just looking like he's just nodding along and pretending that he understands things. So that was quite a good moment. But yeah, he'll he'll definitely win uh, something at the very least with Munich. I'd be shocked if he doesn't win anything. But I think we're at the stage where he needed the trophies. He's still going to get into the England team. They're not going to take him out. Still a top five league. He'll be fine there. Wouldn't it be hilarious, though, if he did carry that curse on and this year Munich won nothing? And I'm telling you now, people would be like, it's fucking Harry Kane. This motherfucker, just, he's jinxed. He's fucking jinxed. But yeah, I'm sure he will like most likely pick up a Bundesliga medal at least. Um, I was Edin Hazard, uh, I thought, would have been going to Saudi. Still not got a team and rumours of retirement at the moment. Yeah, shocked. I mean, I thought, I mean, again, has there ever been such a decline of a player that was, you know, player of the year, however many times he was in the Premier League, easily for a couple of years, he was the best player in the league, went to Real, I think he's been there, it's crazy, like five years now, hardly done anything, form dropped off the face of a cliff, Um, still without a team. I, I would personally, if I was a Saudi team, definitely be chucking a bit of money at him because you could probably pick him up relatively cheap given his drop off in form. Um, the only other rumour I saw, which I thought was crazy, is that, that he might join his younger brother in the Belgian second division, um, which, I mean, that would be a coup for any team in, in Belgium getting Eden Hazard. And even if you got a quarter of that, the percent of, of a player that he was, he would fire him up, I'm sure, single-handedly. But yeah, he's been a real surprise for me, given some of the players that have gone to Saudi Arabia that hasn't... Uh, followed suit as yet and um feels like he'd be retiring too early i think he's only 32 33 so be a bit of a bit of a shame and a waste of talent for me and um i'm sure he regrets that move to real um you know given everything he did for chelsea the star man you know say easily the best player for a number of years in the premier league uh and it all went to shit if the finances were right, would you take him at Liverpool? No, not now, just because of the, the drop-off uh, and the, the front five we've got. If I was a mid-table team and you could get him on a, you know, 40, 50 grand a week deal because of the drop-off, a West Ham, say, you know, somebody like that, I'd definitely take, for, I'd take a punt on him for with a year's contract with an option to renew. Certainly, if I was a a lower league, uh, a, a middling team, uh, not for Liverpool, but certainly if I was uh, 
uh, in the Premier League. I, I'm, again, surprised that no one's had a little sniff around that. Especially with Coutinho, I could have seen Villa wanting a bit of that uh, with the position that they're in. Obviously, they have to try and expand their squad a little bit with, with European football on the horizon. But, yeah, it, it's a sad state of affairs because I agree. I think he was pretty much untouchable in those seasons for Chelsea. He looked by far the best player in the league. And I don't think there's any dispute in that, really. And to see the significant drop-off, I'll be honest, I don't think we've ever seen a drop-off like it in football. Coutinho is, is a good one that I've just mentioned in terms of a slight comparison, but at least Coutinho went and did something afterwards. What has Hazard done, really? Totally agree. Yeah, I, I don't ever recall anyone a fall from grace that extreme. Uh, as you say, Coutinho is up there because... He, he at least went to Villa, had a, an immediate impact and looked good and has now seemed to have dropped off to a probably a similar level and not playing. And he's another one that surprised me and it wouldn't surprise me if he doesn't end up in Saudi Arabia by the end of the uh, transfer window. Release clauses, Ian. I just want to have a quick discussion with you with regards to this. As a Leeds fan, I am watching my team get absolutely decimated by release clauses. Um, our manager has come out and Daniel Farker has come out and criticised the previous regime and rightfully so. A lot of our players seem to have these relegation release clauses and not for money, for loan fees. So you've got Robin Cock who's disappeared. He's only got a year left in his deal. So this loan clause has essentially allowed him to leave on a free. Verber has gone. Um, Aronson has gone. Jack Harrison has recently gone to Everton. Christensen, Rocker. Uh, you know, it, it's quite astounding. I mean, Rodrigo had a, a, an actual fee release clause, but there were only 3.5 million. And that's, you know, pales in comparison to the 29 million that we spent on him. And he was our record signing before Ruta, who uh, has some fantastically since signing for us. But in general, these release clauses have been a bit of a joke, in all honesty. And I think a lot of people are quite confused in terms of release clauses in general and how they work especially now that we're seeing, and I don't know if you've seen this, Tyler Adams and Sinistera had release clauses in their contracts. They seem to have expired. And there's a bit of a dispute at the moment. There's a legal dispute with Sinistera, but no one's quite sure of what it is. There's also a dispute where Bournemouth are essentially saying, we activated Tyler Adams' release clause on Monday before it expired. We want him for 20 million. But that move hasn't continued. He's not gone for a medical. He's not agreed personal terms. So they can't be that certain of it. Um, so there's you know, someone going dispute there. When I ask you what a release clause is, what would you define it as? So, I mean, I, I believe there's variations of them, but it is effectively a clause that says if certain conditions are met, that that player can be released. So there can be conditions yeah. um, ranging from uh, if you are relegated uh, you know, if somebody will pay a particular fee, uh, you know, if you don't finish in the top four, you know, ultimately it's a, it's quite a wide ranging uh, sort of definition and you can have a lot of different clauses uh, and, and variations on the clause within there uh, in the same way that you can have, you know, with um, loan deals, you can have obligations to buy. So at the end of the loan, someone has to buy. There might be conditions related to that. So they have to pay so many games before that's triggered. It might just be they have to buy them at the end of the season. So 
there's there's a, there's huge variety in the term release clauses and it's quite a catch-all for uh, quite a number of things i suppose that that can go on uh but effectively i suppose if i was being a, it's a clause that allows a player to leave under certain circumstances yeah and that's exactly what it is and you've got absolute spot on there and there's some ridiculous examples of the fees for example um rodrigo and venetius jr um and fernand torres as well do you know how much their release clauses are no a billion euros so i don't think they'll ever be met personally and sometimes they're put in just for the sake of it because what is the point you might as well just not have a release clause put into it um there's been a bit of discussion and not necessarily relating to Leeds here, but just in general, the differences between release clauses and buyout clauses. Because some people have been saying, well, why can't people just buy themselves out of their contracts and, and move on? Buyout clauses are mainly prevalent in Spain and they're, they're slightly different to a release clause. And I'm sure you know what these are as well. But they're essentially a mandatory element of most Spanish contracts. They're a very, very high figure. They're not necessarily the true market value of the player. And the player themselves has to buy that contract out. Uh, Iraola at um, Rayo Valencarno, who obviously ended up going to Bournemouth, had a buyout clause, which Leeds tried to trigger. But it shows more of a willingness to leave that club because you've got to pay it yourself. So the club will give you the money. You will then spend it. But you're still doing it yourself. And there's a lot of discussion about that. Question for you, because yeah. this is something that a lot of people talk about. If a buyout, or sorry, if a release clause is met, does that player have to leave? I don't believe they have because the, the 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 fly in the ointment there is whether they agree terms. I believe yeah. they have to be they have to accept the offer. So that's then you know the team has no alternative but to uh, say right, you can now speak to Chelsea, you know whoever it is. But obviously, it's up to them to then agree personal terms um and they may not um they may not do that so um that that would be my understanding of it just because the release clause is met doesn't necessarily mean that the transfer is then going to be concluded which is why i have absolutely no sympathy for the players that are leaving leeds and jack harrison is a prime example and you have never been a big fan of Jack Harrison, uh, and I know that you've made that quite clear. I thought I've always thought that he's quite a good player for Leeds. He's always contributed season in season out. The issue that I've got with this is this was a loan release clause, and it's the same for every player that's gone on a, a loan clause. They have essentially accepted these terms to go on these deals, leaving Leeds in the shit, having just relegated them. They don't have to, even if a team comes in and says we're activating it, they don't have to have these moves. They can say, you know, I've got some integrity here. I'm going to stay. I'm going to fight to rectify what I've done wrong and get this team back to where they were. Realistically, though, in 2023, it's never going to happen, is it? If you're offering Premier League football or you stay at a championship club and you're going to get your wages met by a Premier League club instead, playing better opposition, you're advertising you more for your international squads, you're always going to take it. And and I think that's the problem with football in general these days. Um, I, we're at the point where they're expired. Do you still see Tyler Adams and Sinistera, and potentially Nonto, who obviously doesn't have a release clause, moving on from Leeds out of curiosity? Um, 
I just, I, 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 we we agree to disagree. I think on this point, I I don't think in some ways it's the worst thing in the world if some of these players just leave on a straight loan with no obligation to buy because it does leave the option for Leeds that I know Leeds fans are probably not going to like this and and will feel betrayed and I I can understand that. But if Leeds then have a good season and go up, it allows you to get those players back who are obviously very good players and integrate them back in and suddenly still have a decent team. Now I know some Leeds fans will say, fuck you, Sinisteri, you didn't want to be with us when you know when it counted. I, I, I get all of that. But I think, again, football is fickle. Sometimes you have to t- take the best that you can get. And if that means some of those players leave for a year, you get promoted and they come back and you suddenly can inject three or four Premier League quality players straight back into that squad without having to buy them and you've just got them back on loan. If you try to look at it in a positive light, that's not the worst thing in the world. Um, you know, it, it could be seen as. But equally, I get the fact of, well, you're not prepared to help us get stay at, uh, you know, stay in the league. You're not help. You're not prepared to fight. What does that really talk about your character and your commitment to Leeds? So fuck off. But I can see both sides of it. And as I say, I suppose because it's not my team, maybe I can see that slightly more pragmatic view than as opposed to you who are probably a bit closer to it and feel a bit stabbed in the back by them and are a bit more inclined to say, no, fuck off. And if you're not going to stay when it matters and when we need you, we don't want you back. I mean, exactly that. I, I couldn't agree more. The flip side as well, I, I think same side of the uh, same or different side of the same coin in that sense, but they weren't good enough to keep us in the league in the first place. So why would we want them? Um, if we were to go up, you probably want to inject something significantly better. I don't want Mark Rocker going back to the team, for example. Aronson, maybe, but it would need to be significantly better. The majority of the defence, Verba, I won't be asked about. And if you are able to get promoted with a new set of players, you're probably going to favour those new set of players anyway in terms of both um, you know, the, the love and the emotion that you feel for those players and also their ability in general. So um, we'll, we'll see. I, I suppose it depends entirely on what happens with the players and the integration back into the squad and whether someone comes in with a silly bid. Because if someone comes in with, you know, 30, 40 million, then you're going to snap their hands off in the championship. So um, fingers crossed it gets resolved quickly because Leeds need a significant amount of more players. Yeah, agreed. And as you say, it does look rather worrying for Leeds at the moment in terms of um, the exodus, shall we call it that, um, you know, from Leeds and the uh, the, the amount of players going. Are you even going to have um, a, a team to put out? I think you said to me in the last match, you didn't have a full bench and that included two keepers. So it, it, it's massively worrying um, for for Leeds at the moment. Um, and I, I can absolutely um, sort of see that and the, the, the concern um, that Leeds fans would have. A shorter boxing section than usual this week, because to be frank, not really much happened. Um, and not really much happened in the actual match that was on uh, last weekend. AJ versus Elenius sparks him out. Seventh round um, on Saturday night, just gone. I think the end was as swift and conclusive as the previous six rounds had been pedestrian, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, it was a very dull affair, should we say, for the first six rounds. I don't know if it's to do with AJ being tentative. I don't know if it's to do with him just wanting to get the rounds in, which Tony Bell, you alluded to, but something was 
slightly off. And then as soon as he does let go, we're reminded of the power that AJ contains in that right hand. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, uh, you're right. He did seem to be pedestrian. You know, you wonder what was there something else going on and, uh, was there a reason that he was being so pedestrian about it? But equally, um, I kind of can't help but feel that was he just not that good? I mean, we'd already talked about the fact that there was going to be the inevitable boxing um, comparisons with um, a, uh, Wilder and, um, you know, the fact that he sparked him out in one round. Hellenius had fought the week before, so you'd think it was was tired and injured and, you know, potentially carrying some some knocks from that. Um, I mean, even if he did want to get some rounds under his belt, if that was me, I would have wanted two or three rounds and then be like, right, put him to sleep. You know, seven rounds felt excessive and I don't think really painted AJ in the greatest of lights, if I'm honest with you. I would say that it doesn't matter necessarily how the job gets done. It just matters that the job gets done. And the talking and all the comparisons will eventually stop because it seems that the next fight is going to be AJ Wilder. If he goes and gets sparked out by Wilder, as a lot of people are predicting, then evidently you're absolutely spot on and evidently a lot of people are spot on. I think the fight with Wilder will be significantly different, however, because it's a significant difference in styles it's not as though i mean is there anyone else on on the planet at the moment that fights like wilder he doesn't box he's not a good boxer swings wildly at you and he's got an absolute bomb (laughs) and he can absolutely take you down if that was the case um it, it depends entirely on essentially what happens and I was more than happy to see a knockout from AJ because it's been a number of years since his last knockout. I think it was Pulev in December 2020 when COVID was about. So, you know, a long, long time ago there. So that the knockout was definitely needed. And if we get a fight like that and he's pedestrian for the first six rounds in the Wilder fight, he might fully well get sparked out. I don't think we'll see that same AJ. I think it was to do with getting that confidence back telling himself more than anyone else that he still has that power and then roll on obviously to the Wilder and AJ fight which I'm still backing AJ I've still got to back him because I still think he beats uh, Tyson Fury despite everything and until we get that fight no one can tell me. Would it not give you more confidence just to walk out, bomb straight through someone and spark him out in two or three punches? No. Would that not for me that would be be a far more confidence building I, I, I get the point and Working on the craft, you know, most of his fights aren't going to be that way. So there's some benefit of of doing, getting some, you know, some ring craft and getting some experience. But I feel like for me, if you want to get the ultimate sort of, uh, you know, what gives a man more confidence, in, you know, than an absolutely devastating KO very, very quickly. You can get those rounds in, you know, sparring with people who are better than Hellenius. Sparring's nothing like a real fight, though, is it, realistically? And the, what no, I would but say fighting that, Hellenius is nothing like a real fight. Like, he's going to fight Wilder, it, is it? It's, it is, in the sense that it's a boxing match. But what I'm saying is, if he goes out and sparks him out, in first round, let's say, so he walks out, starts swinging haymakers at him, catches him one, perfect right, and sparks him in first 30 seconds. If he do, Would you do that against Wilder? Would you come out swinging against Wilder? Or would you pick him apart like Fury did? 
Well, I think that's the only way you've got to be. If you if you come out swinging and you try, particularly with AJ's probably fading chin, take the view, I'll give one to take one, you're probably going to get put to sleep. So yeah. he needs he needs to be defensively sound and have that. But that's what his training camp is for when he fights Wilder, is to bring in people who mirror Wilder's knockout style and and you know practice for that. I don't feel like getting rounds under your belt against someone as shit as Hellenius does him any really any good in the longer term against Wilder because it's not even like he fights like him. So I can see your point. Don't get me wrong about get, building the rounds, but I, I don't. I think he would have been far better to come out and make a splash and just just spark him out as quickly as possible. Don't forget as well that his original opponent was white, and in terms of people on. Uh, in the boxing heavyweight division at this point in time, the closest thing that you've got to Wilder, and I'm not saying it's anywhere near as good, um, so no, not to uh, misinterpret that, but the closest thing that you've got to Wilder is White, because White isn't a good boxer. He comes out swinging wildly and he tries to set your head off, and that's what Wilder's going to do. So the opposition, in terms of the plan that Hearn had moving forward, was pretty much spot on. Um, obviously, until that, you know, it's not his fault that he went around junking up and, and trying to do it the wrong way in terms of White's um, drug test. But I think that would have been a much better solution. If he comes out and sparks out White, then maybe it's a different discussion altogether. But I just feel well, like he needed a bit more, personally. I hear what you're saying. But I mean, the other option there in terms of that way, one way to deal with it is, you know, at the end of the day, boxing is boxing and they might have to fight. But AJ Chuck White, uh, a fair load of money to come into his training camp to mirror Wilder's, Wilder's style and um, to get some experience in terms of working on an opponent that's going to fight like Wilder in that manner. So that's the other thing. There's been plenty of times before where I can't, I forget the name, Fury has fought people and then later brought them into his camp uh, as training partners. So there'd be nothing to say that, you know, AJ couldn't, you know, chuck White a fair bit of money and say you're the closest match stylistically to uh, to Wilder. Um, you know, is a couple of mil coming come in the training camp for six weeks. So I, I just I just didn't really see the benefit gained of getting rounds under his belt. Pardon the pun against Hellenius because he, he doesn't fight anything like Wilder. He's dog shit. We know he doesn't. If it was someone of a higher caliber and who fought in a more similar manner with frightening knockout power like that, I would completely agree and I'd get the point. But Hellenius made no no sense to me personally. Still backing Wilder to knock him out? Yeah. I think it, I, I th- it, it depends what... AJ's another one. You never know what AJ you're going to get. If you get a sensible AJ, you know, Klitschko age, age, uh, AJ that was sensible defensively sound when he needed to Powerful. be. But when he saw his opportunities, he went for it. He he could do him because, you know, ultimately that's effectively how Fury put, uh, beat Wilder. So I think he needs a good strategy to, to do it and he needs to work on that. But it depends to me entirely on, you know what Wilder's going to show up. He's just going to come out swinging. He's going to hope he's going to land. AJ has a huge level of inconsistency where you get the Klitschko AJ and then you get the Ruiz AJ. And I can't remember a top level boxer myself that's had such varying levels of performance between fights as him. 
if I'm honest with you. So I think it very much depends on how AJ's feeling, what camp he's had, what experience he's got. But certainly he, he's got the ability and the power to beat Wilder. It's just, does he train the right way? Is his head in the right place? Uh, and does he, does he come out with the right strategy? Um, just final bit then, in terms of boxing this weekend, in case uh, you wanted to, as I tend to do, have a drink, stick boxing on, have a, a watch through. We've got uh, some on DAZN this week. It's Galal Yafai, who is the, of course, Olympic gold medalist. Uh, unbeaten, 75% KO record. He's 4 not and not. He's against Tommy Frank uh, on DAZN with a ring walk about 10pm. I think it's a flyweight. So you've got a card if you've got nothing else to do this weekend. Uh, I'm going to assume that you're not going to be watching it, Ian. Uh, I might watch it. I haven't got much to do with this arm. I'm certainly not going to be knocking one out. Um, so uh, that's off the agenda. So, uh, you know, I've got uh, plenty of other things I might be able to do. But, um, but yeah, I've got no... Uh, I might I might give that a watch if you say not overly familiar with the chat myself, if I'm being honest with you, given... Um, what you've, you've said about him, but um, I might well give that a watch if I've got nothing else planned. Yeah, he's definitely worth it. He is uh, very, very talented, as I say, Olympic gold medalist. So he's probably going to absolutely smash through Tommy Frank, in all honesty. But it's boxing, isn't it, at the end of the day? Give me any boxing and I will watch it. That's it for this week, uh, as always. Thanks very much for listening and we'll speak to you next week. 